Let's have a word of prayer before we take a look at Luke 6, 46 through 49. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it instructs us. We thank you for this series and experiencing God that has uh, led us through some great discussions, some wrestling with what it is we believe about our relationship with you and how you call us to action as your people. We pray that you would enlighten our hearts and minds now to your word and what it would speak to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So Jesus says in Luke 6, 46 through 49, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and put them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Well, today's message, frankly, is a hard one for your fairly independent-minded, some might say stubborn, uh, anti-authoritarian pastor before you preach. If the Bible wasn't abundantly clear on this subject, I would much rather avoid it. I would. Or at least soften it. But here it is. I'm, I'm going to need to hear this message as much as anyone else in the room. But because it is hard, I'm endeavoring to keep it concise. Part of the reason for that is that I want to give us time for prayer at the end of the message together around our tables. And if you're sitting all by yourself at a table, you might have to turn around and join another table. And the theme for that time of prayer at the conclusion of this message is how can my brothers and sisters that are sitting here with me be praying for me as it comes to greater obedience to God? Right? So those of you that need a little time to think, think of what you feel comfortable sharing, that's the theme. So how can my brothers and sisters in Christ here at Desert Springs be praying for me as it comes to greater obedience to God? When it comes time to pray, I want to spend as much time in prayer as possible, not discussion. So um, the idea is not that then you would share everything that you've written down, especially if it's quite a bit, but just that you would immediately go to prayer and pray loud enough that those at the table can join you in prayer and um, and take it from there. You'll be sharing with others as you pray for yourself and for the church. I, I hope that makes sense. If not, we're going to let the Holy Spirit take care of it and it's going to be okay. Even for the stubborn folks like me. So obedience, hard topic. Hard topic. So it helps to start with the story. The other day I read in the devotional, Our Daily Bread. It wasn't the current one, it was, a, it was something I found online. In Our Daily Bread about a man whose dog had been killed in a bushfire. So I think this was set in Australia. This guy worked in the outdoors and he often took his dog with him. This particular morning he left his dog in a clearing and gave him the command to stay and to watch his lunchbox while he went into the brush. 
His faithful friend understood because that's exactly what he did. Unfortunately, a fire started in the brush and soon spread to that spot where the dog had been left. But he didn't move. He stayed right where he was in perfect obedience to his master's word. With tears in his eyes, the dog's owner said, I always had to be careful about what I told him to do because I know he would do it. Dogs are sometimes called man's or woman's best friend because of their faithful obedience and love. I wanted to start with a beautiful and inspiring example of what obedience looks like so that we can see it should be motivated by love and a faithfulness to a relationship, that relationship that we have with God. It's not about following rules. But to this point, we've been looking at adjusting our lives to God and how it pertains to knowing and doing the will of God. We've discussed the crisis of belief, that we, we must believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Without faith in God, we tend to make wrong decisions because well, we just don't trust that God loves us and cares for us. And so we lean on our own understanding and our abilities to see our way through our troubles ourselves. Last week, we focused on that aspect of adjusting to God, getting our minds and our hearts connected to right thinking so that we can release our control and continue on to obedience. And obedience is our focus today. Blackaby and King write in the book, Experiencing God, to experience God at work in and through you, you must obey him. When you obey him, he will accomplish his work through you, and you will come to know him by experience. This is a great reminder that obedience is the outward expression of our love of God. We covered some of this ground a few weeks ago, so to refresh our minds on what we look back at back then, here's some statements from that part of the study. Obedience is the outward expression of our love for God. And the reward for obedience and love is that he will reveal himself to you. And frankly, if you have an obedience problem, you have a love problem or a relationship problem. God is love. His will is always best for you. God is all-knowing. His directions are always right. God is all-powerful. He can enable you to do his will. And if you love him, you will obey him. Now to solidify the biblical basis for these statements, let's remind ourselves of some of the passages that undergird these principles. In Matthew 12, verse 50, this is a passage where Jesus is confronted by his family who, frankly, they think that he's kind of gone off the rails a little bit. He's a little, he's gotten a little out of hand. And his caring family believes that they are doing him a favor by trying to rein him back in. But Jesus states that obedience to God's will is more important than the pressures of expectations from family. He calls his followers his family and states in verse 50 of Matthew 12, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. 
Jesus clearly shows here that obedience, or that by obedience a person indicates his or her love relationship with God. Now, Jesus' brother James must have caught on to something from that experience because well, later in James chapter 2, 17, he writes, well, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And similarly, John the Apostle writes in 1 John 2, 3 through 6, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. A man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, did you hear what John is saying? It's not our obedience to the rules that, that show we are saved, but our ability to obey God's leading should be an encouragement to us or an assurance that God's promise to save us from sin is real. The very fact that we're able to obey God in any particular moment is a miracle. Because we know before that relationship, the Bible tells us we couldn't help but sin. We couldn't help but be a child of disobedience, in a sense, going our own way. But the fact that we can obey, even imperfectly, is an assurance that we have a relationship with the loving Father. John states, if we obey God's commands, we know that we have come to know Him. But if we say we know Him and then don't do what He commands, like if that's not even part of our consideration, well then we're a liar. However, if we obey His commands, then God's love is made complete in us. What an incredible promise that God's love is made complete in us. Amen? Amen. I mean, that's an amazing thought. God's love can be made complete in us. So why is obedience important? Scottish theologian Peter T. Forsyth was right when he said, you know, the first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom, but to find its master. This is because no individual is an island unto themselves. We are influenced by others, and we follow the direction and guidance of others. The individuals and philosophies that direct our behavior, they are our masters. Jesus said himself that no one can serve two masters, for instance. He was talking about God and money in that case. One master always wins out. Our master is to be God. We are to be taking direction from God. Not, not our fears, not our appetites, not our culture. God. And if you know that God loves you, you should never question the directive from him because he always has your best in mind. When he gives us a directive, really, as his sons and daughters, we're not at liberty to merely observe it. Discuss it to death, debate it. We're asked to obey it. 
Jeremiah 7, 23 records the following word from the Lord. It says, Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in all the ways I command you, that it may go well with you. In Luke 6, 46 through 49, to come back to that passage that we started with, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, right? Like boss, boss, leader, leader. Why do you call me that? And then don't do what I say. Some people come and listen to me and do what I say. I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man who builds a house. He digs down deep and sets it on solid rock. When a flood comes, the river rushes against that house, but the water can't shake it. The house is well built. But here's what happens when people listen to my words and don't obey them. They're like a man who builds a house on soft ground instead of solid rock. The moment the river rushes against that house, it falls down. It's completely destroyed. Now, I enjoy doing woodwork and building something with my own hands. When I come to build something, I spend time, probably too much time, often it looks like procrastinating, but I, I spend a lot of time thinking about and planning the project before I start anything else, before I buy any materials. And I would like to think that by planning, I eliminate the many mistakes that I would have made if I had not planned it. And here we find Jesus talking about laying foundations. Like my planning before making something, the foundations that are, that are laid provide stability for everything else that is built upon that foundation. Now the question I would ask myself when reading this parable, I don't know if you've ever asked this, is why, why on earth would anybody not build on a solid foundation? Why would they build on sand or software? Well, perhaps, it might be easier. Perhaps it's to save time, to avoid the hard work and expense of preparing a foundation, which, you know, really does come down to laziness. It's easier. Or focus on that which is showing. You know, the foundation is boring. Even foundations today at our house, they're usually, you know, we can see the foundation out the windows here. It's usually gray, you know, concrete. It's not very pretty. You don't spend any time dolling it up. It's just functional. So maybe it's because we want to we want to spend our time on things that are showier. Perhaps, you know, in this parable, it's because these folks wanted to hurry up and spend their time with the other friends that were on the beach and enjoying this very scenic spot. Friends that have already settled in sandy areas. Maybe it's because maybe they haven't heard that violent storms are coming. Or because they've discounted the reports. And you can know the hurricane is coming and still not prepare. Whatever the reason, those with no foundations are short-sighted and they will be sorry. You follow where I'm going here? <laughs> the, the foundation that, that Jesus is talking about is what? What did he say? So those that hear my words and, and do them, put them into practice. There are different ways that it's translated in different verses, but, but basically not just hearing, but, but doing something about it. Like if Jesus says, love your enemies, you go, yeah, that's a good idea. And then you pray for the destruction of your enemies. 
which is what, what we do a lot about, right? So we hear the words, pray for your enemies. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. And then we actually pray for our enemies. Jesus says, love your neighbor. And we don't even know who our neighbor is. Or to love somebody you don't know. Jesus says, love your neighbor. And we, we find ways to show love to our neighbors. So the foundation that Jesus is talking about is hearing, is teaching, and obeying. When you find yourself listening to God and not obeying, what are your reasons? And are those reasons good enough? I know mine aren't most of the time. Scripture makes clear that there's no excuse good enough for lack of obedience to Christ. Disobedience is a serious rejection of God's will. And the cost of disobedience is that we suffer the result of that disobedience. If we find that we're disobedient, the proper response is repentance, right? But what is, what is our response usually? Rewrite the rules? Figure out a way to justify? Do things a different way? Find somebody else that's doing worse and point at them? If we find that we're disobedient, the proper response is repentance. And through repentance, we may make the corrections necessary in time that might mitigate the worst that will come from our disobedience, but, but maybe not entirely. Because the result of our disobedience, well, that's God's righteous discipline. It's not about punishment. Punishment often focuses on shaming someone for their choices, and God would never shame you. God loves you. But God's discipline is focused on natural consequences and allowing us to experience the result of our independence from God. In other words, we become accountable for our own actions and attitudes. So that's a negative. But what's the positive side? The positive side is that, that well, obedience means that blessing comes that's beyond our imagination. It gives us a firm footing. It allows us to see that when the difficulties of life come against us, the words used in this passage that Jesus tells are the storms of life, We know that we have that firm footing in Christ. We have a peace that passes understanding because of that foundation. We'll know spiritual truth and be secure in the depth of love that God has for us. Obeying God is like building a house on a strong, solid foundation that stands firm when the storms of life come. And they will come. Amen? Amen. The storms of life will come. It's not if, it's when, and how often. Now when life is calm, our foundations really don't seem to matter too much, do they? But when the crises come, our foundation is tested. The message is to be sure that your life is built on the solid foundation of knowing and trusting Jesus Christ above all else. What does obedience look like? Is it, is it holding the right beliefs? Is that what obedience looks like? Make sure I, I ideologically aligned with the right people? 
No. Maybe that might help. Having the biblical position assured in our minds, our, our confidence that we've got the right, the right way of, of not only translating and interpreting, but applying a particular passage. No, it's not it either. Obedience from Jesus' perspective is connected to right action more than right words or attitudes. That's not me making that up. This is straight from Jesus. In Matthew 25, 28 through 30, Jesus asks, when, when this sort of question is put to him, well, what do you think? He said a man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go out and work today in the vineyard. That seems like a clear direction, right? It's amazing how clear directions when given to our children, you know. So son, go out and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But then later, he changed his mind and he went. When the father went to the other son, he said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. And he didn't go. Now, who is the obedient son in this parable that Jesus told? The one who said yes and then didn't follow through? It's the one that at first balked at the instruction, said no, but then finally went and did what the father wanted done. Obedience is not about what you say you will do. It is doing what has clearly been directed, even if there is initial hesitation. We may not like everything that God tells us to do. I know I don't. But obedience is that we do what God asks us to do, whether we like it or not. I believe our culture has trained us to only do those things that we want to do, to stay in our comfort level. If our master is our comfort, our ease, then that attitude's going to carry over to the church. But biblical obedience does not consider our personal comfort. It just doesn't. Only what the master directs. So to sum up the importance of obedience to Christ, it, first, it reveals what you believe about God. You either believe that God loves you and that what he's going to instruct you to do is for your good and it comes from a loving source or not. Secondly, it determines whether we are going to experience God's work in and through us. If God says, hey, Chris, I want you to reach out to your neighbor and I say, nope, too uncomfortable. I'm an introvert, don't you know? Not going to go there. Then I'm going to miss out on whatever God intended in that interaction. And thirdly, it determines whether or not we're going to come to know God more intimately. Because when you stretch yourself, when you when you obey, especially in an area that is uncomfortable and it's hard, then I don't know about you, but I immediately become more dependent on God. I say, all right, God, you told me to do this. I'm doing it. What am I doing? Even in that moment, I'm connected in a way that if I just went my own way, if I said, oh, I got this figured out, you know, I got it, God, then I'm probably not involving you. 
Now, I don't want you to get a shock, but that's the end of my talking today, right? So let me sum up with this. I sense that the Lord is challenging us as his church, not just Desert Springs, but church, Big C Church, church in America, to pray and repent from doing things on our own power without turning to God. I just want to finish now by reading Psalm 119, verses 33 through 35 as a prayer. And after I read it all, I'll pray. But then I'd like us, as I said before, to get into groups at our tables and just take some time to pray together as a church. And if you need to move, yes? Yeah, Psalm, uh, Psalm 119, 33 through 35. Well, yes, uh, to sum up the importance of obedience to Christ, it reveals what you believe about him. It determines whether we will experience God's work in and through us. And it determines whether we will come to know him more intimately. So if you don't know everybody at your table, that's okay. You can do brief introductions, but and hopefully get getting to prayer as quickly as possible. I'll sit in on a table to get a sense for how things are going. And then at a certain point, I'll get up here and I'll start gently playing the guitar and we'll, um, we'll conclude our time of prayer and lead into communion uh, by singing Father, I adore you, which probably, the words are on the page there, but you, you probably know. There's only like 10 words in the whole song, so. Will you join me in prayer? This is from Psalm 119, verses 33 through 35, and we can break into our tables. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the paths of your commands, for there I find delight. God, be with us in this time of prayer. Give us the ability to disclose a little bit to one another areas that we need help in obeying your voice and your decrees. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.